Welcome to the Kennedy Report. I'm Kennedy Hall. Archbishop Vigano is at it again. He's released another series of statements, most recently concerning himself, primarily with the potential suppression of the traditional Latin Mass. For those who are unaware, there has been some murmuring going on about uh, the idea that Rome might be rescinding the motto proprio that was called, or is called, Summorum Pontificum. This document was written by Pope Benedict XVI in about 2007, if I'm not mistaken. And this document essentially gave people or priests the freedom to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass without any penalties. It was never officially suppressed, the Latin Mass that is, but in essence, basically, you were told you weren't allowed to do it without certain permissions and so on and so forth. Well, in 2007, the document was put out by Pope Benedict XVI and it said, nope, it's the Mass, you can say the Mass, you don't have to have permission. Hasn't really been how it's turned out for a lot of dioceses. Unfortunately, bishops are still, let's say, messing with their power a little bit to make it hard to happen. But nonetheless, this document is sort of the legal reasoning why you can celebrate the Latin Mass in your diocese. For those who have tried to establish a traditional faith life, you know that unfortunately there is often a plethora of red tape surrounding the liberation of the Old Mass. And often, as I said, there are bishops who will do everything they can to suppress its flourishing, even if only in roundabout ways. So they won't say you can't do the Latin Mass, but they'll say, well, I'm reassigning Father so-and-so to do something every Sunday afternoon, and that just happened to be when he used to be doing the Old Mass, and well, there's nobody else who can do it, I guess. There's no more Latin Mass community. Anyway, there's a great worry amongst traditional Catholics that they're going to face yet another persecution, liturgical persecution, which for many has never really ceased. And the priests themselves, there are many of them who are now devoted to the Old Mass, are also worried that it might be going away. There's actually a meme that goes around on social media, and it's an image of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, who founded the Society of St. Pius X, and it's just his picture, and it says, I told you so, referring to his own plight in a similar situation years prior. With every passing day, it seems more and more like the Archbishop was a prophet for our times. In this video, I'm going to refer to two texts from Archbishop Vigano. One's an interview, the other is a statement that he released on his own, and they can both be found at Catholic Family News, among other places. Now, before I continue, please like and subscribe to this video and this channel. Check out the website to see what we have going on to help you grow in your faith. Click the links in the description to find out more, and if you could, please consider a donation. The statement that was released by Archbishop Vigano is called Considerations on the Feared Modification of Summorum Pontificum, again, which is that document liberating the Latin Mass. And the interview is entitled Derailing of Vatican II, Creation of New Mass are Results of Revolutionary Forces Infiltrating the Church. So as we said, the backdrop of his recent statements come under the context of a threat to the Mass. So let's begin. In his written statement, the one that he released on his own, the bishop says the following, and there's many quotes, but I've just taken a few which I think will help us understand a little bit better. He says, it is disturbing as well as scandalous that in the face of the good that the Tridentine Mass, the Latin Mass, brings to the church, there are those who want to ban it or limit its celebration on the basis of specious reasons. End quote. Well, anyone who's ever spent time around a traditional community knows that in spite of whatever prejudice people may have, in reality, traditional Catholics are just simply trying to recapture what was lost. We're interested in the faith of our ancestors. The amount of vocations that come out of traditional communities as opposed to New Mass or Novus Ordo communities is staggering, especially when you consider the size 
of the traditional communities in the church versus the Novus Ordo. I read somewhere, it's estimated, that soon there will be more priests in the Society of St. Pius X, for example, than there will be in the whole order of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, and that's within a couple decades. This is remarkable, considering the size of the one now and the size of the other. The one is going up like a hockey stick on the graph, and the other was coming down because of declining vocations, priests retiring, and nobody wants to join the order, which is quite sad because the Jesuits were at one time an incredible order, and hopefully there'll be a renewal there one time soon. There are great issues in the church, uh, but going after the traditional communities is nonsensical and works against the urgency to save souls. Honestly, if you're watching this and you are skeptical about traditional Catholicism and traditional mass, you have to ask yourself, are you skeptical of your entire Catholic ancestry? I mean, this is the mass of Padre Pio. This is the mass that St. Joan of Arc would have gone to. This is the mass that St. Therese of Lisieux would have gone to. This is the Mass of Pope Leo XIII, and so on and so forth. It is truly a sign of decline in the church when forces within the church will work against the patrimony that evangelize the entire world. I've been told before that, well, we shouldn't have the traditional Mass because the new Mass is in the language of the people, and they're going to evangelize everybody and so forth. Okay, fair enough. But you've got to explain to me how a group of Spanish missionaries using a Latin liturgy cross the Atlantic Ocean and evangelize a continent of diverse groups of native peoples with different languages, and the whole continent became Catholic. But since we've changed the Mass into English or whatever language you hear it in, that's not the case. Now, to understand what's going on here, we should probably consider the motivations behind this, as far as we can tell, and Archbishop Vigano comments on these for us. He says, quote, Yet if we place ourselves in the shoes of the innovators, we understand how perfectly consistent this is with their distorted vision of the church, which for them is not a perfect society instituted by God for the salvation of souls, but a human society in which an authority that is corrupt and subservient to the elite, it favors, steers the needs of the masses for vague spirituality, denying the purpose for which our Lord willed it, and in which the good pastors are constrained by inaction by bureaucratic shackles which they alone obey. I've said this before. Archbishop Vigano is a very good writer, so he uses some pretty interesting uh, phrases there. There's two things that jump out at me here. Number one is the salvation of souls, and the other one is good pastors being constrained by bureaucracy. The salvation of souls is key. If you really believe in the truths of the faith, namely that many will walk the road to destruction, as Jesus Christ himself said, or that more souls go to hell for sins of the flesh than for any other reason, as Our Lady said at Fatima, then you would be motivated to do something about it. It's pretty simple. If you believe that souls might be falling into hell like snowflakes into a fire, which we've also heard from mystics and so forth, then you'd probably just be motivated to do the thing that works regardless of any ideological pretenses you might have about how it should work. Listen, you might have different ideas, but if it's not working, it's not working. So do the thing that works if you really care about the salvation of souls. You don't have to be a genius to see that the changes of the Mass have not been a positive for the Church. Whatever little successes may happen here and there, overall is a net negative, whereas the old Mass was the foundational liturgy for almost all Catholics the world over for centuries. Whatever good de intentions defenders of the new Mass may have, the reality is that it's never working and it never will. 
So do we need another 50 years of experimentation to finally realize the results of this? You have to ask yourself that question. Now, when Archbishop Vigano speaks about the bureaucracy that hampers good priests, he is saying something eminently true. So many good priests in their diocese will be cut off at the knees if they try anything traditional. Could be the Mass. I remember hearing about a diocesan priest who was doing the new Mass not in a particularly traditional way. They decided to do some processing of the book from one side to the other, which isn't even in the old liturgy in the way that they were doing it. But they looked kind of traditional. You know, there was incense and there was uh, songs being sung that were sort of traditional hymns. And it was slow. It looked kind of like something you'd expect to see in a very Catholic setting. The priest ended up getting emails saying, what are we doing? Are we turning back the clock, going back to those old ways? Those don't work. It just shows how out of touch people were. It wasn't even something from the old mass, but just because it smelled of tradition in some fashion, just aesthetically, people actually got upset. Good priests are, are, are always faced with these obstacles and they'll be told to just simply, quote unquote, obey or basically be without a job. I've seen it happen. The Archbishop then goes on to discuss the faulty obedience that is expected of pastors today. And I believe he is trying to illuminate how this will be the way that bishops would essentially force otherwise traditional priests to drop the Latin mass if they got the chance. So the bishop says, quote, the impasse, this juridical dead end, means that the abuse of authority can be imposed on subjects precisely in virtue of the fact that they recognize the voice of Christ in it, even in the face of evidence of the intrinsic wickedness of the orders that are given, the motivations that determine them, and the individuals who exercise it." End quote. Interesting distinction here that Vigano makes. He says, quote, they recognize the voice of Christ in it, even in the face of the evidence of the intrinsic wickedness of the orders, etc. So what does he mean by this? Well, true authority of the hierarchs in the church is a divine mandate. Christ gives the church to the apostles. This is how we know we have a valid church when we have apostolic succession. And thus, this is from God, directly himself ordaining these bishops, ordaining the apostles. And true obedience is a good thing and even a holy thing. You can find many quotes from saints talking about, you know, the fastest path to heaven is obedience and so on and so forth. You do have to give context for those because a lot of the time these are coming from cloistered nuns and monks and so on and so forth who themselves have taken vows of obedience. So yes, it does make sense that you would have a vow of obedience being a path to heaven, but nonetheless, it makes sense. However, this authority is often abused. So a priest may come to a point where he says to himself, well, my bishop is a successor of the apostles, but he is telling me to do something wrong here or to not do something right. A sin of commission or a sin of omission, they're both sinful. How can I be properly obedient without sinning? This is a legitimate quandary. Your bishop, however corrupt, is a successor of the apostles. So we have to look back to the apostles and we have to say, well, sometimes the apostles can be Judas and sometimes the apostles can be St. Peter. And even a man like St. Peter at times can basically commit an act of denying our Lord publicly, but then also become a great martyr for the faith. It is not as simple as people would like it to be. It is a legitimate problem for pastors, but ultimately the pastor must obey God over man if this happens. It's a rough spot to be in, but it is the position nonetheless. Vigano gives a useful analogy about the plight of strained obedience by priests as he compares it to that pandemic lockdowns. And I think this is really smart. He says, quote, on the other hand, 
Even in the civil sphere, during the pandemic, many people obeyed absurd and harmful rules because they were imposed on them by doctors, virologists, and politicians who should have had the health and well-being of citizens at heart. And many did not want to believe, and listen carefully here, many did not want to believe, not even in the face of evidence of the criminal design, that they should directly, that they could directly intend the death or illness of millions of people. It is what social psychologists call cognitive dissonance, which induces individuals to take refuge in a comfortable niche of irrationality rather than recognize that they are victims of a colossal fraud and therefore having to react manfully. This is a money quote. He nails it here. I wrote an article for Catholic Family News and it was called Six Decades to Slow the Spread, wherein I compared the mentality that the defenders of the Second Vatican Council often have with that of the pandemic lockdown mindset. In essence, give it more time. It will work this time. Just keep doing the same thing. It will turn out better if we just do it harder this time. It sounds a lot like the mentality of the lockdowns. It really is a communist mentality as well. You see this true communism has never been tried. Disregard those 60 million deaths or whatever it is. We're just going to do it well this time because I'm so virtuous and I know what I'm doing. How many people lost their reason in these past 15, 16 months of two weeks to slow the spread? People you would never expect it. It really has been a war of attrition where people were on the right side during lockdown one, they were on the right side during lockdown two, lockdown three comes along, they kind of get broken down and it's just sort of almost an abusive mentality where eventually the person who's being abused just sort of gives in, this is happening. They say things like, well, the government wouldn't just lie to us, would they? Um, I think that's called the 20th century. Perhaps look it up. You can probably see a lot of that. How much lying and malpractice do people need to see in order to recognize that those in charge might not actually have their best interests at heart? This is why Vigano says it's what social psychologists call cognitive dissonance, which induces individuals to take refuge in comfortable niche of irrationality rather than essentially face the truth and do something about it. This is key. Cognitive dissonance and the fear of the truth terrifies people. If something is really wrong, then we have to do something about it. And this is going to mean a lot of discomfort. And often that our pretenses about the goodness of those in charge will have to be reevaluated. And this is not a fun thing to do. This is like finding out your dad's living a double life or something. You don't want it to be true, but if it is true, you got to do something about it. Also, the idea that we would have to react manfully, which is just another way of saying we'd have to react with great virtue. This means you're going to have to pull up your bootstraps, do something about it, which is going to cause conflict. Well, the situation we're in right now seems a lot like what Marcel Lefebvre, the founder of the Society of St. Pius X, had been through, and his priests and his society have been through on and off for years now. Last year, Vigano published a letter explaining his affection for Marcel Lefebvre. And he wrote, quote, I consider Archbishop Lefebvre an exemplary confessor of the faith, and I think that by now it is obvious that his denunciation of the council and the modernist apostasy is more relevant than ever. It should not be forgotten that the persecution of which Archbishop Lefebvre was subjected by the Holy See and the world episcopate served above all as a deterrent for Catholics who were refractory toward the conciliar revolution. 
I also agree with the observations of His Excellency Bishop Bernard Tissier de Malaret, he's a bishop in the society, about the co-presence of two entities in Rome. The Church of Christ has been occupied and eclipsed by the modernist conciliar structure, which has established itself in the same hierarchy and uses the authority of its ministers to prevail over the spouse of Christ and our mother." End quote. This is pretty amazing. We've probably gone over this in other places, but essentially he's saying, Lefebvre is a model. This whole thing, we've been through this before. And this is eminently scriptural. We see this with prophets in the Old Testament. There are members of the hierarchy, they're members of the priests. I'm sure if we were to go back and look at basically what canonical lawyers and things like that would be saying at the time, there'd be various prophets they'd be saying bad things about, but we see later on after they're persecuted and so forth, that they were right. I mean, there's the expression from the Bible that a prophet is never accepted in his own home. This is not something that has gone away. In his recent interview, Vigano went even further with his comments about Lefebvre and the Society of St. Pius X. Speaking about the strange tolerance that Pope Francis has for the SSPX, considering his seeming dislike of tradition, and Vigano says the following, he says, quote, with regard to the Society of St. Pius X, we are witnessing a more subtle maneuver. Bergoglio, Pope Francis, maintains good neighborly relations, and while recognizing certain prerogatives of its superiors, thus demonstrating that he considers them living members of the church, remember that, the Pope considers the SSPX in the church, so we should not be saying otherwise. On the other hand, he may want to barter their complete canonical regularization for an acceptance of the quote-unquote conciliar magisterium. It is clear that this is an insidious trap. Once an agreement is signed with the Holy See, the independence which the society enjoys in virtue of its position of not being completely regular would be lost, and with it, its economic independence. Let us not forget that the society has assets and resources that guarantee sustenance and security for its members at a time when the Vatican is experiencing a serious financial crisis." End quote. Now, we'll say, he mentions the economic independence. I know the society very well. They're definitely not uh, rolling in the dough, but yes, they have been able to find themselves through Providence a way of sustaining themselves without getting money from the diocese. There's been a lot of debate about the place of the SSPX in the church, but Vigano clarifies the position of the church, that they're living members of the church. Now, Vigano laid out that this is an issue that faces many pastors in, earlier in this letter, and also the dangers of suppressing the Latin Mass. Perhaps he's suggesting that the canonical reality of the SSPX is maybe a solution. Who knows? In the church, but a special place with freedoms that others don't enjoy. I'm just speculating here, but it does seem like there might be some providence behind this, and you see opinions starting to shift in this direction. We're going to finish here with what I think are his strongest statements. He says, quote, It is not acceptable for the supreme authority of the church to allow itself to cancel in a disturbing operation of cancel culture in a religious key, the inheritance it has received from its fathers. Nor is it permissible to consider as being outside the church those who are not prepared to accept the privation of the mass and the sacraments celebrated in the form that has molded almost 2,000 years of saints." End quote. Archbishop Lefebvre had a famous quote about this, and he basically said, how can you tell me that I cannot say the same words of consecration in the same way over the chalice that I used when I was ordained. It really is just a common sense thing. Imagine telling Padre Pio one year later, he didn't quite live to see the reform of the Mass, probably thankfully for him, but imagine telling him, oh, you know, 
greatest saint we've had in 200 years. Well, you can't act that way anymore. It doesn't make any sense. It's not from a place of true love and mercy at all. This is, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here. We're Roman Catholic. We have the faith of our fathers. No one can criminalize or cancel the faith of these great saints. It is not a matter of being radical or disobedient. It is a matter of honoring our patrimony and history, our saints and martyrs. We stick to the traditions of old because we know that they are the will of God. They lasted for 20 centuries. They did not magically change in 1970, and everything since then has not worked. We seem to be in some rough waters right now, in society and in the church, and I think the message from Archbishop Pigano echoes what we've heard in scripture, hold fast to tradition. If you'd like to hear more about these, I suggest that you look up these articles and statements yourself. This has been the Kennedy Report. Please check out the website, click the links in the description, consider a donation, subscribe to this channel, like this video, and until next time, God bless.